We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Perpetual Chess. We have a wonderful double episode coming your way featuring two great guests, The first one I think is familiar to most of you. He is the two-time winner of the FIDE World Cup, three-time Olympic gold medalist for his native Armenia, of course. Grandmaster Levan Aronian now represents the United States. He's the fourth highest rated player of all time, one of the great representatives of our game. I always find him fascinating on any topic he discusses, and this interview, I am glad to report, is no exception. We discuss topics including the Global Chess League, how promotion of chess can be improved. Levon goes back to his formative days and discusses his humble and often poor upbringing in Armenia. Levon discusses whether he will write a book someday and his 2023 tournament plans. Uh, The interview was conducted with Levon in a park in Spain. So there's one or two audio hiccups, but we should have those mostly cleaned up for you. And it was an absolutely fascinating interview. For part two of this episode, we interview Jagdish Mitra, who is the chairman of the Global Chess League. Uh, Hopefully a lot of you caught that chess league in late June. It was a fantastic event with... um, 
evident enthusiasm from the teams. A lot of the top players, including Magnus Carlsen, Viswanathan Anand, and of course, Levan Aronian's team, won the championship in dramatic fashion. So I really enjoyed talking to Jagdish about all of the preparation that went into this tournament. I love to see corporate sponsorship at this level. Uh, so it is great to see uh, Tech Mahindra uh, seizing the initiative and building this league with a long-term vision for chess. So I'm excited to see what they do in season two, which won't be until June, 2024, but it's definitely on my calendar and I look forward to what they do in future years. And I think you will find the conversation interesting if you're um, interested in sort of the business in chess and how something of that scale with so many of the top players in the world come together. So I think you'll enjoy both interviews. The timestamps for topics discussed are in the show description. As always, before we get you to the interviews, I also wanted to thank, as always, our presenting chess education sponsor, chessable.com. They're outdoing themselves lately. They've got tons of exciting new courses that have just come out. Uh, Grandmaster Peter Hein Nielsen, who of course has been on the show and is uh, Magnus Carlsen's lead trainer, one of the leading theoreticians in the world. He presents the classic book, Techniques of Positional Play. That's now available on Chessable. Uh, top British player, Gawain Jones, has a complete E4, E5 repertoire. And friend of the pod, Vyacheslav Niemic, has a new course out, uh, a compact course on the Alekhine defense. Uh, Vyeko always does his homework and has the club player in mind. So I'll link to all those as well as a few of my favorites. Uh, so without further ado, let's get you to the interviews. First up with the legend, Grandmaster Levan Aronian, followed by Jagdish Mitra discussing the Global Chess League. And I wanted to thank the Global Chess League for arranging this, this, uh, these interviews. So without further ado, here they come. And we are here with one of the chess world's brightest stars, the fourth highest rated player in history. I will save the rest of the accolades for the intro that is already recorded. But joining us live from a scenic vista outdoors in San Sebastian, Super Grandmaster Levan Aroni. And Levan, it's an honor to speak with you. How are you? Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm very pleased uh, to be on the show. Uh, I'm feeling great. The weather is wonderful. And... Uh, there's nothing better to do than to talk about chess, something we both enjoy and love. Couldn't agree more and super excited to dive in. So let's start with the Global Chess League because um, that's probably top of mind for you being your, your most recent event. And of course, your team did amazing. Um, but in reviewing my notes, Lev, I, re I realized you were a last second replacement. So what was your history with this team? Like, had you been in touch prior to uh, your being called in to replace Ding Loren at the last second? Uh, so the way it worked, so about a year ago, I was approached by the league and asked if I'm interested to participate. But uh, when I was checking the contracts, there were quite a few social media engagements. Uh, and, um, you know, it wasn't really clear about the venue. Although, you know, there were famous... Uh, People were behind the, the league. Still, I, I was kind of reluctant to, uh, to join because, um, you know, with the little baby, you don't want any. Uh, somehow, when uh, Dinglerand couldn't take part, they thought of me. And at that moment, uh, I, I think that the plan was more or less clear what's going to happen. Uh, and, and, and I was happy to 
to be a replacement player. So you were worried if you signed up, they might make you go on chess podcasts and stuff like that? Initially? <laughs> yes, of course. I, 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 I was very worried to do, be talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we're glad that you joined. And yeah, I, I can understand both perspectives. I'm curious, actually, Lev, when you review a contract like that, so... Obviously, I'm sure the financial considerations uh, play a prominent role. But what else are big factors for you when you're de deciding whether to accept or decline an invitation? Well, sometimes, I mean, I generally love to play chess. I mean, I love to be a part of the team. Those are two, two of my favorite things, playing chess and being part of something. You know, and, you know, like united efforts, just something. Uh, so mostly when I, when I'm asked, uh, it's not really, uh, so much about the conditions. It, it's something that is outside of the playing and being part of a team because, you know, quite often, uh, there are lots of, uh, engagements prior to the playing one hour to talk to some people and getting uh, to do like lots of things that have nothing to do with chess. And this was my main concern. And do you often negotiate around that? Because, stuff? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I often negotiate, you know, because I uh, on social media, I'm a very natural person. I really don't like to be somebody else on the social media that I'm not, you know, like, uh, engage in some kind of, uh, extra, um, uh, like business orientated, uh, activities. I mean, I can do that, let's say 5% of the time, but if, if I'm told, you know, you, you have to like say, okay, let's say, uh, 30, tweets or some Facebook posts and things like this. That's just way too annoying for me because I think I'm losing my uh, touch with chess fans and chess society because I, I really like engaging and, and, you know, talk and, and voicing my opinion over uh, social media. So this is my, uh, the, quite often I, I negotiate over those points. Okay. They might seem very insignificant, but I I like having a voice, you know, and I, I like uh, being natural as I am online. You need you need your Twitter account to be only about the Ponchik bot, not not anything extraneous, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course. I mean, uh, uh, I. I engage in promoting my dog because, uh, well, you know, I get so much in return from him. I mean, he sometimes uh, hides a bone and shows me the place. So those <laughs> right. things. Exactly. So for listeners, uh, Levon's famous dog, Panchuk, ha now has a bot along with like Levy's dog, Benji, um, and some other prominent chess dogs. Panchuk, last I saw, had a rating around 2,600. So uh, can, you've been teaching him well, Lev. Um, but I uh, just wanted to, to square the circle. But bringing it back to the um, the chess league. So once you got there, Lev, what was the environment like? 
Well, actually, it was uh, much more than I expected. You know, I thought, oh, you know, this is the inaugural edition. It's going to be not uh, very publicized, not very professional, and, you know, not so much drama. I mean, not so much kind of, you know, creating the atmosphere to, to, to make a show out of it. But I was very pleasantly surprised that it was uh, so, you know, so fun and so interesting. And it was rather refreshing for me to see like so many cameras. And so um, I could see the engagement of the teams. And this, this is quite interesting. I think this has a big future. Yeah, just to give you my sort of informed chess fans perspective, uh, I had a sort of similar reaction because there's so many chess events that sometimes things can slip through the cracks. So when the event was starting, I wasn't that dialed in on it. But um, as I started to see the social media and stuff, you could really see that, as you alluded to, you like playing with people like the team atmosphere um, really came across you. So, I mean, you see chess players together that you don't see that often. And you could just sort of see not only your team, but all of the teams just really rooting for each other. Um, I guess you have a lot of experience with with team chess, but do you think that that's a big part of why this league has a future? Oh, yeah, for sure. I think, uh, you know, now that there are established teams and established chemistry, and I kind of hope the teams will not kind of, you know, turn into, uh, you know, some some sort of uh, league where players switch teams and uh, right. uh, allegiance is very, very fast. Yeah, I, I think it, it, it definitely has the potential to get this soul and to captivate the audience by, you know, when you're looking at a certain team, you understand that, okay, this, uh, this, uh, this is the team of these people and this, this is the character. What I was really hoping for is, uh, you know, to have a team uh, that, that that is you know the team tournament that that has all the you know with uh, small changes but the core players staying the same and I think that's the most exciting thing like uh, when I was playing uh, for Armenia you know we always knew more or less our four players and then you could have one replacement or maybe two but just generally this. Uh, whole feel of uh, unity and teams staying uh, within their uh, character, more or less, within their spirit. Yeah, as I mentioned to Jagdish Mitra, the chairman of the league, when we spoke, um, I'm really impressed with the organization and the enthusiasm, and it seems like the viewership was good and they have a long-term vision. So I'm generally optimistic, but I kind of share your concern that the main thing is to develop allegiance uh, between like fan bases and people, because um, as a sports fan, I've seen when players switch around a lot, sometimes it can be um, it can be a little discouraging. And then you even have like often more of an allegiance based on place, which uh, when there's only six teams will be a at least short term challenge for the league. But but there there's a lot to build on as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, uh, of course, you know, we all have different visions. Uh, but me, uh, primary as a chess fan and as also a sports fan, I think uh, we share the same vision how this league should develop. Yeah, so it'll be fun to see. Yeah, and let's hear, 
And let's hear a little about the moment where you guys won the championship, Levon. So this iconic moment, you know, it goes to blitz tie breaks and it ends up being Jonas Pierre, uh, 19-year-old, not the highest board, obviously, that wins due to a blunder. Um, What did it feel like kind of watching helplessly as there's tie break after tie break taking place, Lo? You know, I kind of believe in karma. And uh, karma, uh, you know, always strikes. At some point uh, when we're, you know, in tie breaks, we saw the opposite team uh, when we we're choosing the the board, you know, with the cards. They were like, um, oh, six, six. We're waiting for the sixth uh, board. Uh, we really want uh, Jonas to play against our guy because he beat him 4-0 after that point. Yeah, very poetic. And I had this feeling that this is going to bite them in the neck, you know, because uh, something like that. You can't be sure that you're going to win the fifth time. So, Lev, I think it's safe to say, I mean, again, uh, Chairman Mitra assured me that they're already planning the league for many years. So it sounds like you're in for next year. Oh, yeah, sure. I would be happy to be a part of it. And your friend uh, and colleague, uh, Grandmaster Fabiano Caruana, mentioned possibly for some of the same reasons that you mentioned that he decided not to participate in this inaugural uh, league. Now, you mentioned sort of the issue of not wanting to dilute or scramble the teams too much. But would you like to see players of that stature join the league? And if so, like, how would you suggest uh, to the team at Tech Mahindra that new players be incorporated? Yeah, you know, uh, of course. I mean, players like Arana belong to a team. I mean, he's a brilliant player. Wesley, Fabi, Anish, they all have have to be incorporated. I, I don't know what can be done for it. I'm sure that, that it's in league's uh, interest to have all the stars of the world play uh, in, in the league. So I'm sure they'll, they'll manage... They'll, they'll come up with a solution to, to make the second edition even uh, more, uh, you know, star-equipped uh, as the first edition was. Yeah, it should be interesting. And they did say that probably not next year, not 2024, but 2025, they would consider a couple expansion teams. So that could ease things. But it does seem like if it continues on this trajectory, uh, people are going to be trying to knock down the door. So uh, it'll it'll be fun to see. And Sure. And Lev, um, I have a question from an article where you were quoted um, in the Indian Express, an article by Amit Kamath, where you said, uh, quote, I don't believe that chess can survive forever as a toy for rich people. It has to start earning money. All the best players are ready to give their best. We work really hard and want the game to get into a position where it deserves to be. Uh, And that resonated with me. I mean, obviously, we're lucky to have the prominent supporters that we do in the chess world, but it does seem like chess is starting to draw enough eyeballs where it should be sustainable. So I'm curious what steps you think are necessary for continued growth? Um, Well, right now we have some sort of exposure. So I think a lot of people got to, you know, be interested in chess during the pandemic. Uh, you know, there are obviously various reasons. And now, uh, you know, we have lots of streamers, you know, and lots of uh, online 
personalities that actually are very big on chess and they love to play chess. So the interest and the the what is necessary love for the game, you know, that people got to know the game is already there. I think the appreciation. I think we need an active work of either a independent organization to engage people to play chess and, you know, to uh, kind of uh, contribute to the game by, you know, being part of tournaments, creating more tournaments and uh, kind of understanding what that, uh, you know, games like, uh, I don't know, golf, uh, poker and uh, darts did to, to become uh, so popular. So I, I think uh, we, we need a research. We need a federation to be ready for it. And we need some independent investors to create organizations that want to earn money from chess and uh, do have a business vision for, the, yeah. for development of the game. Well, well said. And and again, uh, I'm impressed with the team behind the Global Chess League. It certainly seems like a step in the right direction. Now, just as an informed fan of chess and obviously top player, do you have any of your, your own opinions about like, well, they should clearly be doing this or or is it more like you would need to do the analysis first or one would need to? Well, I think definitely we're missing a lot of like representation of the players. You know, uh, you know, the stars of the game. Because I think, for example, when I look at different sports, let's say I look at NBA, I look at soccer, uh, I look at tennis. I mean, I know what LeBron James is known for. I know what Messi is known for. I know Federer's backhand. You know, I know everybody's uh, secret weapon. And if I'm an amateur and I want to find out, let's say, what's uh, what's the famous trait of Fabiano Caruana? I mean, you can tell me, I can tell you. But can can you show me like a website where I can go and actually read about Fabiano and it's going to be like crystal clear for me to understand as an amateur? Oh, okay, this guy, he is crazy. He wants to play everything. And he has a fantastic calculation and he's a huge fighter. Yes, that's Fabiano. Okay. And now I understand what, what, what he does. I mean, he searches the worst possible opening lines to surprise his <laughs> opponents. Okay. That's Fabiano. <laughs> I love it. Let's it, do it. You know, we need representation for the best players. And. I mean, I want to I want to pull on that thread and ask you a few more players. But first, first, Levon, um, have you ever been approached? I mean, I'm sure you get all kinds of like inbound requests. Have Has anyone ever come to you and said they want to sort of represent you in that fashion? Actually, no, not really. You know, I mean, uh, you know, quite often there are ideas and committees are being formed. But, uh, you know, to, to quote, I think I I've, I've saw it in one of the Yes Minister series. Uh, I think it was Minister who said, oh, you know, I want this uh, law to be executed. And then uh, his uh, assistant said, okay, you, you can do it if you don't create a committee. Because once you create a committee, any, any good creation is going to die, you know, because <laughs> right. it's, it's a non... <laughs> 
to get some non-stop uh, talk and yes, let's do this, let's do that, but no action. But so definitely did... a good website, a good website rep representing everything about chess, you know, is really a necessity. In English, let's say in Spanish, this, uh, yeah, this would be very important okay. for development. No. Now, chess.com does have player profiles, but you, you would want something uh, more detailed than that? Yes, for sure. More detailed and, you know, not attached to uh, our website because uh, to a certain play zone. Because the, the issue is, you know, you go on, uh, on chess.com. I, I love going on chess.com. I mean, I'm a great uh, friend uh, with, with uh, uh, people of chess.com. But... There are just too many buttons, and you know, just to get to watch some games, I have to click like four. I I have to go go through some hurdles, and uh, you know, looking at the player profiles, it's just too long. Good quality website where I go in there about chess players, and I have just two sections: chess news that I can, no, three sections. Follow the games of current good players and everything about the players. Statistics. Let's say when uh, I, I'm playing with somebody, I want the statistics to be there, you know? How is my score in classical against that person, in rapid and blitz, you know? And same for everybody else. This would be exciting, you know? I think this would be exciting for chess fans to understand what's going on. I mean, you you have that kind of thing, uh, I think, for professionals in in tennis, where you can actually know uh, if this person is serving against this person, and on this particular side, you know the the chances of him winning historically are this, right? And I think that's pretty good. Or or when we're looking at advanced statistics in in NBA, that's also very exciting, you know. And also, we, we can develop our own statistics for chess because, for example, uh, a lot of people, you know, we, we play brilliant games, but uh, you you just don't get to win those games. And, and then uh, people don't really see those moments, you know, the, the interesting ideas. So I think uh, representation is something that we really need uh, as, you know, in this online world, we, we need to approach and, and show them everything that there is about the players. I'm on board. It sounds great to me. Let me quiz you. Let's hear you do a few more capsules because I enjoyed the, the Fabiano one. What would you say for Hikaru Nakamura? Absolutely. Great. Thank you. Um, what would you say for Hikaru? Uh, Hikaru is a great fighter. Uh, he is very practical. I mean, he really narrowed down his opening choices with black. So he's, he's a very, very practical guy who fights till the end. He doesn't care if he's losing. So he has many qualities of a gambler. So he's a, he's a great gambler, I can say. Makes sense, given his interest in the financial markets. Um, okay. <laughs> How about, uh, let's go for a younger player. How about uh, Gukesh? 
so the issue with younger players that they haven't really developed their uh, full personality yet. So it's difficult to say. But from what I see, Gukesh is a person uh, who doesn't really care about the opening so much, but uh, who's calculating very well, who's, who's, uh, who's not afraid to lose, who's fighting. And uh, I, I think he's... You know, he's hardworking over the board, and uh, I, I I really like his his qualities as a, as a you know sportsman. You know, the the way he approaches the game, I can see that he doesn't get discouraged. So these are these are great qualities. And out of the young phenoms, I mean, there's so many that I'm hesitant to to name them. But of course, Pragananda, who's been on fire lately. Um, Ali Reza Faruja, uh, Irigesi, and the list, Kaimar, and the, li- the list goes on. Is there one person you would consider more likely to someday be a world champion than the others? Well, it, it would be very disrespectful if I mentioned anybody except uh, <laughs> Ali Reza Faruja. Yeah, because uh, he's been playing so well and so cons- consistent and, uh, you know, with a great style. So I mean, uh, I I think uh, he has every potential, uh, but but I think somehow he's hitting the same wall like uh, Alexander Grishuk. That something happened to Grishuk when he was something like eighteen, nineteen. He was already probably one of the best players in the world, definitely top five with his strength, but somehow he lost the interest in the game. And some people recently have suggested that maybe Ali Reza's interest is showing a resurgence. Do you do you sense that, or is it too difficult to say from the outside looking in? Well, I don't know. I really, I I think he's he's an honest guy. I I don't think he's uh, he's a guy who poses in, in saying that. Oh, you know, I I'm not so interested in chess. I want to do other things in life. And this, of course, uh, is a great loss for the world of chess. Uh, but, you know, there's nothing can be done. Uh, I think those things can happen. I myself, you know, when I remember when I was uh, 18, 19, of course, I was never uh, as good as those guys. But, you know, I uh, I became a chess player not really because of my like uh, 100% conviction that this is something I have to do. But this was a need for my family. And when I kind of fulfilled the need and uh, I had uh, uh, my financial situation of my family was already okay, I couldn't really say that I'm so in love with the game of chess. Uh, The love for chess only came a little bit later when I actually started earning serious money. And then for me, it was kind of, pleasant you know i could because uh, i'm naturally uh extra uh like um i like i like to you know spend money uh on my friends invite people and be an extrovert so for me that this was kind of uh i love the lifestyle and then slowly i i uh, became falling in love with the game itself and I slowly I started uh, appreciating the game, and I could even play chess for free. Uh, and same uh, applies to me now. 
But uh, during that age, I, I kind of understand him, you know, because maybe, uh, you know, he was kind of forced because he had this gift, but it wasn't uh, his desire, you know, more or less like uh, Maria Callas' situation. I, I think this is, this is kind of common with prodigies. Um, yeah, so you came full circle and you, you hope that Ali Reza will as well. Sure. Yeah. So let me ask you, Lev, about your period. I mean, I find that that fascinating that you the love came, I guess, went away a little bit and came back. But you were also in a sort of unique situation in that, as you described, you were supporting your family from a, a very young age. Um, so I'm curious, did you feel pressure playing like I, I, I mean, like going through your story and hearing you describe, or sorry, hearing yes. it described, playing games for money, like as like a kid, maybe even like preteen. What was that like? Well, of course, it was very stressful. You know, going to tournaments and not having any money and playing Blades at night for a stake. You know, so in order for me to have some money to like. Uh, uh, get uh, better food, you know. Uh, what what I was basically doing back in the day, I would just buy uh, lots of bread and lots of pickles, all kinds of things like this, and just uh, eat them in a room because I didn't really really have so much money for things. But uh, and generally, I would have this huge pressure to earn money because I knew, for example, all right, so. This is something I got from my sponsor. Let's say I was getting five hundred dollars for for from my sponsors. For this five hundred dollars, I I mean my family had to leave the month, and I also had to travel to a tournament. And imagine like in the last round, if a draw will guarantee me, let's say thousand uh, dollars, I mean earning, I would never look for a win. I, I would be terrified. Uh, for me, it, it was just a matter of survival. So, and this really showed when I, when I moved to Germany, where uh, there was already like social security and you could earn even without, uh, uh, you know, without ha having uh, like a job, you, you could have this uh, basic earning. I, I really relaxed because I knew that my family is not going to struggle if if I lose in the last round, and so I started uh, going all in. And this is part of my nature. I am very very tricky, and I can play well. Uh, I I lost all the stress, and which propelled me to to the top. You know, so this was a big factor in my development as a chess player. Yeah, you had quite the rating jump during the period of the whole Hans Niemann controversy when people were debating sort of what's possible <laughs> in rating jumps. Your your graph was often being cited because it was during that period when you moved to Germany that suddenly you went from like 2630 to 2750 in, in like two years. So so you mainly attribute that to just being able to just relax and not play for basically food. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Because everybody knew. I mean, everybody I was analyzing with, they knew how strong I am. They knew about my understanding, about my tactical vision. Uh, I even remember this uh, story that, uh, so it was, 
tournament in Libya, the World Championship, which, uh, as, you know, the knockout, which uh, Rustam Kasimjanov won. And I, I was playing there. And at some moment, I was in a room with Ponomaryov, Grishuk, Kasimjanov, and we were analyzing something. And they were saying some things. And then I said, guys, come on. Uh, you know that I'm uh, the most talented player of my generation and that I'm going to be much better than any of you, which was extremely arrogant because <laughs> they were, you know, rated 740, 50, and were much, uh, you know, much more successful at that moment than me. But I knew, you know, that I'm not worse than them and I, and I knew that I'm probably better than them. That's an amazing story. How did they react when you said that? Of course, they were laughing. They thought I'm just bragging and I'm just, what I'm saying makes zero sense. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying, but you're saying everyone knew. And I've actually heard that in the discussion, like what the online discourse during the Hans Neiman thing, people would say, okay, but everyone knew Aronian was a top talent. Um, but but nonetheless, it makes me wonder, like... Everyone in Armenia knew. Everybody, everyone who analyzed with me knew. Okay. But none of these guys. Okay. That makes sense. And and then, so you describe as you start to relax a little bit because you can and have success, like around what point would you say it was that you re that you regained your joy for chess and and were able to sort I mean, because now, of course, you're, you're well known for sort of this free flowing, creative, carefree style. Well, I, I think so. What actually changed in me? So I used to have this kind of habit, you know, finishing the tournament and getting drunk and, you know, caring, not caring about the game for the next month or so. And then at some point, so I think it was uh, 2005 or was it six? Well, yes, 2006, I won in Linares. And then I was invited to play in Melody Ambert. Uh, beautiful tournament. So, you know, I just won a tournament and I won a huge, humongous amount of money, which was, which allowed me to, to build a house in Berlin for my family. So happy times. And so I'm going to this tournament as a star. Uh, and I'm just so happy and so silly. And I'm playing some ridiculous openings like, uh, I don't know. First knight c6, first knight c3, dodge, e4 that I haven't played since I was, I don't know, 15, anything. And I'm losing terribly and I'm just showing like sense that I don't care. I'm just enjoying myself. Oh, look at me, how amazing I am. I can play anything. And then a friend of mine, close friend of mine, who was mentoring me and he still mentors me, Boris Gelfand. He came to me one day and he said, look, people invited you because you're a professional, one of the best in your field. And here you're just disrespecting the people who invited you and being a clown and, you know, being seen around drinking and partying and just uh, not giving a damn about the tournament. Do you think they're going to invite you ever again? That's and this was kind of, yeah. No, you go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, this kind of sobered me up. 
And I told myself, I'm in so much privilege. You know, I'm among, you know, the best players of the world. And I get to play against Anant and I get to play, you know, against Kramnik, uh, get to play against everybody that I dreamt to be in the same elevator and, and talk to them. You know, and now I'm just being a little spoiled brat. And then I just kind of, I think from that moment, I started appreciating where I am. And I started uh, being more professional and I started loving the game more because I understood where did it take me. Yeah, I mean, that's an amazing story. Thank you for for sharing it. Um and it strikes me that that was a kind of like the moment where chess was becoming professionalized because obviously someone like Gelfand, who's spanned the generations, you know, if you go back to someone like Mikhail Tal, you know, known, not known for his sobriety, you know, like in at many events. <laughs> but then at some point uh, that that becomes less accepted. You know, I mean, someone like Vladimir Kramnik in his young years, they've said, um, he also had a period before he started to take his chess more seriously. But now it just seems like everyone arrives fully formed. You don't see stories like that as much. What do you think has changed? I think chess became far more professional uh, because uh, of computers. Because you can't really, you know, just uh, swindle everybody. <laughs> if you play a bad opening, even in an open tournament, you will get in trouble. And generally, the level of chess has rise by so much that one extra shot of martini can actually be the difference between uh, winning and losing. I think it just just changed drastically. Like uh, you know, like the sports, uh, like like physical preparation has changed drastically, starting with Ove, and you know, Botvinnik. Uh, learning from over and kind of uh, adopting this approach. It, it The same happened, uh, I think, with the computers. They kind of made us sober up and start becoming serious about the game. And do you feel that anything's lost with this transition? Is it an unmitigated good or is there something sort of sad about it as well? <laughs> well, of course... For a lot of people, it's sad. For people who loved this social atmosphere of, you know, hanging out and having a drink together, but not really for me. I, uh, you know, I, I love uh, hanging out with my friends and spending time with them, uh, like uh, Kramnik and Gelfand. Uh, but uh, I, I think... Uh, if we want the game to progress, it definitely needs to be professional. And uh, essentially, the development of computers and, and development of strong engines will uh, deplete the resources in classical chess, and we'll all be playing my favorite game, Chess 960. So <laughs> this is perfect for me. <laughs> so you're on, you're on Team 960. It's a raging debate here when I interview chess players on the podcast, but... Uh... But it does seem like um, sooner or later, there's going to be too much theory. I mean, there might be already, if you ask Magnus, but do um, you think Chess 960 is the solution? I can't wait. Yes, of course it's the solution. It's the most brilliant, free-flowing form of 
chess that uh, is like baroque music or jazz. So right now we're in this pre-baroque times, you know, everything is very nice and sweet. And now we need uh, a Bach. So Chess 960 is the Bach. Well, when I interviewed Jan Timmen, I think he shares a lot of sort of your personality traits from my sort of outsider's viewpoint. I mean, he's got sort of the heart of a poet and, um, you know, has a lot of friends in the chess world and writes very poetically about the legendary figures and sort of had to figure out the proper place for chess in his life. But despite and he has said that he wouldn't be a professional in today's age because the the opening prep is too much work. But despite all this, he says that something feels unnatural about chess 960 to him and he doesn't think it's the solution. How do you respond to a criticism? I mean, I don't know if it's a criticism, but um, a statement like that. Well, uh, same was told to me by my dear friend, Boris, uh, and also by Vlad Kramnik. They kind of feel that Chess 960, you know, you have to kind of uh, uh, really play a different game, you know. But I don't mind that. You know, we're learning things every day. We're lear- learning about the depth of the game. Uh do you want to say that some openings to play nowadays are something that people would look and find natural? <laughs> you know, true. starting from, uh, I don't know, Petrov, where, uh, you know, you're losing lots of tempi, but you're surviving, or uh, finishing with Berlin. I mean, what can be more na- unnatural? You're, you lost uh, your right to castle, you have doubled pawns, and your opponent has his pawn on e5. Uh, I mean, uh, this feels exceptionally unnatural. So, you know, people adapt, people learn, people understand things. And what we thought was unnatural uh, five years ago, today we accept as something very, very natural and normal. Makes sense. And I will just clarify for, for listeners. I think generally when these conversations take place, they're mainly pr- referring to the uh, professional level, um, because I do think at the casual chess fan level, I think chess is is pretty healthy. Yeah, uh, you know. yeah this is. Go ahead. Yeah, this is something that I actually told to friends of mine. Uh, I think that uh, chess should like the classical chess, regular chess should be played on a lower level, let's say till you reach 2,600. And after you get to like a strong grandmaster level, then you switch to chess 960. Yeah. I I don't know if it makes sense, but that would make the transition much easier. Right. I mean, kind of like in the the like TCAC computer championships, they give imbalanced openings that they have to play from both sides. Like, I I don't think that would work as well with humans, but it's the same principle. Yeah, it would be like, you know, this uh, in uh, some junior NBA uh, tournaments, you have the three-pointer line a bit uh, closer. And also you don't really have this 24 seconds but you have 30 so and you have uh, let's say I think three things are a bit different in order to make it easier for people to adjust 
And for professionals, you have the the serious uh, game. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, I feel like it's going to... It's been an ongoing conversation since the days of Capablanca, but I feel like it's, it's accelerating. Do you, What sort of timeline do you think we're on where like something will have to change? Well, okay, let's look, let's say at the, at the openings, right? I mean, the, the improved Tarash, you know, the, let's say, the Tabia with uh, Knight F3, Knight C3, and then C5, CD, CD. This is basically uh, not a very difficult draw for black. So people are trying to avoid it by playing Catalan or some other openings. So this is more or less closed. I mean, the subject. You know, I don't know. I don't know how many years we have. I mean, in E4, of course, uh, you have lots of openings uh, that are playable, but mainly due to the fact that you still have uh, Gioco Piano, you know, somehow keeping the pieces on the board. Right. But if they if they came to you and said, yeah. the Global Chess League, we, we want to make it uh, Chess 960 next year, you would be on board with that? Yay! <laughs> All right. Um, well, stay tuned. No, it's not because I, I have any advantage in it. I honestly, I honestly don't think I have any advantage in Chess 960. We'll be right back with more from Grandmaster Levana Roni. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we are back. So, Levon, in my research, I came across a little anecdote that I wanted to ask you about. I had read and actually spoke with the person who did a profile on you in The New Yorker, uh, Sean Williams, back in 2017. But I was revisiting that article. Uh And he has a line where he says that, so he was describing the period of your life that we discussed where you were a teenager and uh, trying to help support your family and uh, traveling um, economically. And he, he has a line where he says, Aronian even traveled abroad in the mail. <laughs> and I, I know that New York, the New Yorker is legendary for its fact checkers. Um, 
do you know what was meant by the story that you traveled in the mail? Okay, so so I had a sponsor, a really good guy. I mean, Golden Heart. And he had this uh, flight, uh, like, uh, this is our 90s we're talking about. Okay. Armenia, no electricity, no water, no heating. Wow. After devastating war and earthquake and Soviet Union collapse. So there is this, this really good guy. His name was Garrick. He passed away, unfortunately. He has this flight from Yerevan to Odessa, which is uh, which is flying in not a passenger flight, but a cargo plane. And I don't think Ben, you ever flew a cargo plane. <laughs> I did not. No. <laughs> so, what it is is basically a plane without any illumination, so there are no windows, and you don't have any, like, chairs. So they put up some, you know, like, village-style chairs, those long things. You know, long, I don't know how they're called in, in English, but, you know, like the ones, benches in the church where you can sit. Right. Basically. So, so they put up those things, and we're flying uh, because he was giving me this flight for free from Yerevan to Odessa. And from Odessa, I would take a train because planes were scarce and also very expensive. So we would take a train and play somewhere in Russia. Either Russia, I go to Moldova, and from Moldova, I get to Romania to play tournaments. And yes, so this, this is the, the route that I took many, many times. Yerevan, wow. Odessa in a cargo plane. It's, I it's, I mean, if you're struggling with claustrophobia or uh, you have some health issues because it gets to definitely more than 85 degrees uh, Fahrenheit. I mean, it's really, really hot in there, extremely hot. So, so you're, you're there and there's, you don't know how long it will fly. Obviously, there is no staff to offer you anything. There's basically a pilot and co-pilot. <laughs> wow. And a group of people that, that heat up the place. <laughs> That's amazing. And were you typically, who would you be typically traveling with on these trips? Uh, with my mom and okay. with my coach. Wow. With, was this yeah, still my a... coach. My coach probably remembers uh, Malik. Malik. Yeah, Kachian. I was going to ask. I interviewed Malik some years ago. Great guy. Um. I, as you know, as you don't need me to tell you. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I think he remembers those flights. Well, <laughs> but you know, those uh, generally those nineties. What I remember, those were like the most. Uh, I I would say psychedelic psychedelic experiences I had in my life. I have never experienced anything like that. So one time I remember we we're taking this train somewhere in Ukraine or Russia or Belarus. I don't remember. And then suddenly, I see the windows get open, and the animals are being flown into the train. You know, it continues, the abundance, like a river of animals, ducks, chickens, goats. <laughs> and, I, and, I'm, and I'm thinking I'm having some kind of a 
you know, uh, some madness in my brain. So, but I understood what's going on. Basically, it, it, the train would stop there for one minute. This is after Soviet time, but still, everything is very strict. And there was a big market on the next station. And the people take their animals to sell them in the next station, but there is not enough time to bring them all because the train will close in one minute and we'll say goodbye. So you open the windows, you throw anything you have and you jump, you know, the animals, you don't care if they die or not. And then you jump from the front, <laughs> from the front yourself. <laughs> wow. So, so it's like Noah's Ark, but on a train, basically. Yes, yes, very <laughs> much like that. <laughs> Unbelievable! Well, I'm glad you made it. I'm glad you survived all those uh, escapades. <laughs> um, so, so Levan, we've got a, a wolf. Oh, so I wanted to say it must it must feel nice to uh, to fly business or first class these days after after those experiences. Yes, absolutely. You know, <laughs> but there, you know. I think if I was older, I, I I don't know if I would have a mental breakdown. But uh, I was little. Obviously, it was super shocking for my mother. I mean, my uh, my coach. But uh, you know, uh, this this was the reality. I you know we we all had to survive. Wow. Oh, okay. Well, we've got a um. A question from a supporter of the podcast, Levon. A little, little um, more easygoing, I could say. Uh, this is from Jim Sutherland, who says, "Congratulations on your recent marriage. I'm a big fan of yours, and I've enjoyed following your successes and studying your games for many years. Like a lot of average club players, I celebrated your move to the United States. You're a wonderful addition to our group of top level players." And Jim okay. says. He'd be interested in hearing what obstacles you encountered in changing federations and moving to the U.S. and what you think the U.S. chess community can do to encourage more international players to immigrate to the U.S. Oh, well, uh, I, I won't say I had too many obstacles. I think, uh, you know, um, at that moment, um, it, it was something that I really wanted to do. I wanted to... Uh, leave Armenia because I was very heartbroken about uh, the war in my country and uh, the the fact that, not the fact that we lost, but the fact that uh, we as citizens of the country had no clue what is happening. So I was a bit disappointed with the government. And to me, it, it, was, uh, it was a big deal, big deal. So I wanted to move and... Um, and I, I thought that going to St. Louis is the right thing to do because I have a great relationship with Rex and I really appreciate what the, the Singfield family is doing for chess. So, and also, um, I mean, we've been friends with Fabiano and Lenier for so many years that I just wanted, uh, you know, to go and play in a team with, with my friends. Uh, I think everything that is happening Generally, in in the in the chess world right now, you know, with uh, chess becoming popular and uh, lots of kids playing chess all over the world, including America, I, I think it all has to be natural. You know, you can't really uh, kind of 
force people to play chess because what what I see a lot in the US, I kind of look at some kids and I say, okay, this kid is, is a genius. He's going to be very, very good. But then, uh, you know, they, they choose their career in, in other fields. So I don't know. It's, it's hard to judge people, you know, because uh, after all, uh, Chess is 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 very demanding and it's very bad for your ego because hmm. it's you know if you're not playing a good tournament and you're working so hard and uh, uh, it, it kind of makes you feel stupid. So I I don't blame those kids, but definitely uh, I would want to see more young players developing from from United States. And I, and I do believe that the the players uh, like uh, Jeffrey and uh, Sam uh, that are in their twenties, they definitely you know can make it up to the top. They're very very talented. So I don't know how to answer it, but uh, I I think uh, currently. A lot of people moved to St. Louis and a lot of them became coaches and a lot of them are in universities. So I think the, the atmosphere is very good. The atmosphere of this type of development of chess and uh, chess living a life, uh, uh, living a good life in, in America, I think that's that's very good. The results should come. I think uh, as it happens uh, in many, many countries, Normally, the chess players are the kids that uh, are of families that cannot afford education. So I hope we can do that in the United States, you know, bring the chess uh, to communities of less privileged uh, uh, kids and just uh, turn everybody into chess players. Yeah, I do think that's important. That's something uh, long ago when I interviewed Simon Williams, he highlighted a concern because if you look at a game like uh, golf or to a lesser extent, tennis like a lot of these can be can become games of like the middle and especially upper class because um as you try to develop um it, it costs mount quickly and chess shouldn't necessarily be that way especially with online chess but competitive chess is so expensive that that it is a potential uh, it is a potential concern for future generations well i definitely believe that uh we need to bring chess uh, to to a poorer net areas. I think this this will benefit just the the, the society generally, and also the it's it's going to be a social lift. I I believe that this 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 is required, and this is a great idea to do that. Okay, and and Levon, what about from a personal perspective? Were there any sort of, I mean, obviously you're kind of a citizen of the world, you lived in Berlin, um, but were there any like cultural adjustments as you started to spend more time in St. Louis? Oh, well, I've been playing in St. Louis since 2013, I think. So I'm uh, more or less familiar with uh, the American lifestyle. And I have uh, I have a close friend of mine, a musician in New York that I visited quite some quite a lot and spoke with him. So I more or less know what America is. Of course, it was not easy for, for Ani that, uh, you know, being from European country, you kind of expect to walk everywhere. Right. And in the United States, uh, 
is rarely the case. But uh, she she loves a lot of uh, things in St. Louis. You know, she, she, she likes that it's, you know, I get so much respect uh, as a chess player and people are at the club are very nice. And also our Armenian community is very supportive. And uh, there are many, many, many advantages. I mean, the nature is wonderful in St. Louis. And uh, I, I think uh, it's one of those cities that a lot of uh, people fall in love when they get to live there and get to travel there. Uh, but it doesn't have that, that great of a name yet. Okay. And, and how's life as a dad? Uh, yeah, you know, we, we have a house in St. Louis, so, you know, we, we, we hang out a lot with our chess players. So mm. yeah, I mean, life is wonderful. <laughs> You're still cooking for, uh, Dominguez and Caruana? <laughs> I've been, I'm, I'm actually been in, uh, San Sebastian last, uh, two months in Spain where I have a place for 10 years. So I'm cooking here. I'm excelling in my cooking here, you know, in order to impress my friends. So when I go to United States, but, uh, the cooking is definitely, uh, a big, uh, talent that I have as my friends tell me. Okay. Um, and just a couple more questions, if you don't mind, Levon. Absolutely. Um, great. Thank you. Um, number one, in your interviews with your friend, Suryo Ganguly, from a few years back, which I greatly enjoyed, he asked you about writing a book. And it sounded like you might be interested someday, um, but you wanted to give it your full attention. So I was hoping for an update on that. I'm guessing it's still yes. down the road. Well, I haven't really started. Uh, I commented some games from the past, but you know, I when you start on something and then you're like, "Oh, okay, no, 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 this is not the direction I want to take." It's it's so hard to really uh, understand the whole scenario, you know, the whole uh, like uh, the final version of the book, how it should be, you know. Because I really love some things that, let's say, Korshnoi did in his book. Very straightforward, without any sentiments. I like that. Uh, I, I At this moment of my life, I really don't want to write uh, kind of a biographical book. Because, I, you know, I feel like, uh, you know, there is no need for that yet. Maybe I'll do one day. Right now, I just want to write some chess book, but I still, you know, because a lot of those games are connected to anecdotes and stories, uh, suddenly it turns into a biographical book. <laughs> so I don't know how to tackle this this issue. But I don't know. I uh, I started a little bit, but then I kind of changed my mind. I don't know. But definitely, this is something I want to do one day. Great. Well, we will certainly look forward to that. Do you keep notes? Do you like as do you have a journal or a diary or anything like that to to help you someday put this together? Oh no, not really. No, I remember some things, and if I don't remember them, I ask my mom, who's been my uh, supporter and uh, you know the the keeper, the keeper of all the information. <laughs> okay. Her memory is thousand times better than mine, so. 
I can always call her to find out about the story. On June 7th, you tweeted, and I quote, I have a dilemma as a person who enjoys the World Cup very much. I would love to take part in 2023, but as an Armenian, I don't feel safe traveling to Baku, Azerbaijan. Since FIDE has been promoting the hybrid format, I'm more than willing to play from place if possible. So I'm curious if there anything, I mean, obviously I don't see your name, uh, you know, listed in the pairings, um, but I'm curious if there were any discussions subsequent to that. Well, I think it was more or less dependent on the organizers on the Azerbaijani side to involve me in the tournament, to let me play online. And as I understand, they declined. And, you know, what can I do? You know, I'm, yeah. I'm uh, you know, I did, uh, I did visit Baku in 2015. It was a very difficult uh, experience for me. But right now, you know, especially after the war and also since uh, Nagorno-Karabakh is right now is in a blockade uh, by Azerbaijan, I just feel it's not safe to go there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not safe, not just for me, but also for my family, you know. I am, I'm a daddy now. I can't really afford to take such risks. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll miss you there. I know it's... I mean, I know you've you've made good runs in the past, and you're always fun to watch. So it's um, yeah, disappointing that you had to make such a choice. I mean, I understand your perspective. It's disappointing that you were put in that situation. I should say. Um, but also, it's really not about my life or anything. It's just the wrong thing to do. You know, if if uh, I could see that you know our countries are coming together after a long. Uh, and uh, traumatic war, and finally there is peace and there is no hatred towards each other. I would understand that. But, you know, when uh, so many people are in a blockade without means of survival, it's just morally wrong to do. Yeah. Well, Levon, what else do you have on your calendar? Well, I'll play in Isle of Man. And I'll play, well, first I'll play in uh, St. Louis. Uh, I'll play the uh, Chess 960 Rapid Tournament, and I'll play uh, the U.S. Championship. And then I'll play in Isle of Man. Okay. And uh, what's your study routine like, if, if, uh, <laughs> if your dad life allows any study? So my study time is at time I find, uh, you know, while I'm cooking something, I, I put up some position and uh, while uh, Isabel, my daughter, is sleeping, I, you know, sometimes uh, get to play some blitz, things like that. So, but uh, my wife is helping me a lot, you know, to, uh, you know, uh, to get some time to, to train on chess. Okay. Well, I'm glad that you're still making time, Levon, and we're certainly look forward. Disappointed. Again, we understand completely why you're not playing in the World Cup, but you, you will be missed there. But we look forward to seeing you in future events and most of all, the, the Global Chess League next year. So, Levon, it's been a true honor. I'm really a big fan of both your chess, but also all you do to, all you do to promote the game and uh, shine a positive light on it. So uh, thank you for taking the time to do this interview. Thank you very much, Ben. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Take care. Take care. We'll be right back with Jagdish Mitra, the chairman of the Global Chess League.
This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And we are here with Jagdish Mitra, who is the chief strategy officer and the head of growth at Tech Mahindra. He is also the chairman of the Global Chess League, which recently concluded as we record here on July 7th, 2023. It looked to be a great success with lots of viewers and extremely enthusiastic players. Uh, So I'm excited to discuss the league with our guests. So welcome to the podcast, Jagdish. Thank you. Thank you, Ben, for uh, giving us an opportunity to talk to you. Um, from our perspective, uh, it's an honor. You, Your podcast in the chess world overall is very well recognized and uh, I'm glad we're speaking. Thank you. Yeah, I feel the same way. And I appreciate what you guys are doing to uh, support chess in this new way, to create this new entity. And I'm curious, Jagdish, so I know that you're the chairman. Uh, what was your personal role from the beginning with the Global Chess League? Sure, Ben. Um, so from day one, when we conceptualized it, um, I led the journey in terms of putting together the team, in terms of running the whole concept. Obviously, you don't do these things on your own. There's a team that comes behind it, that works with you. And there are a few people that we sort of formed a core group. Um, as and when I, I know, I'm assuming you know the story behind how it got started. Well, uh, let's Twitter from our chairman and so on and so forth, or a tweet from our chairman. No, so let's so hear so it. So this was the Olympiad, uh, not this one, but the one before, uh, which was, I think, kind of hybrid or was primarily because of COVID times. Um, and India and Russia were declared joint winners at the end of it. And um, the, our chairman, Mr. Anand Mahindra, who's the chair of the Mahindra Group, which is a large business house um, and um, has varied set of interests across from technology to automotive, to farm equipment, to financial services, to hotels. I mean, they have a wide variety of interests. But Mr. Mahindra is also quite an enthusiast on sports. And he's spent, you know, got involved in very unique set of sports, if I may, uh, across his, I mean, uh, across his professional life, and as someone who supports these, so Formula E, for example, is a big supporter of that. Uh, he was part of the opening organization that set up, and that aligns very well with our automotive business, as you know, um, electric vehicles and sustainability become common theme in the world of automotive. Then he also picked up a very, pretty old but, but rural sport in India called Kabaddi, uh, which I don't know whether you followed it. If you Google it, you'll know. It's a bit of a, 
um, wrestling and you know touch and go type of uh, sport which is a team sport again and uh, he launched a kabaddi league and that became immensely popular and uh, then has has now become the second highest viewed league uh, in india after cricket wow um, so which means which means a lot because you know um, cricket is as you know in india only next to religion mm-hmm. and or probably equal to religion and then the second part of it is uh, kabaddi so he picked up on this win that joint win that india had and he tweeted about it and uh, said how good to have such an ancient sport and something that has connections to india and india winning it um i think it does need a lot more support to make it global and it has a tremendous potential and he said something like that in his tweet and he's got some i don't know some 14 15 16 million followers he's got a lot of followers and um i think someone tweeted and it started a conversation about why doesn't the mahindra group supported by doing something of that nature and he replied on that tweet saying i might as well do let i think it's an interesting comment and i might as well do it i have to think through it and um, that caught the attention of the fide president who in turn wrote to him saying are you serious and that's how the whole conversation got started i got involved as we took up from a group company in in the mahindra group we are a large technology company uh, ben tech mahindra 160000 employees 90 countries we enable companies to transition and transform their technology bases to the modern technologies that enable them to be digital and um, we we work across you know all sectors and so when he sort of bounced it off we felt that it sort of aligns most with tech mahindra and our ceo and md mr cp gunnani picked up on it and said why don't we do it he got me involved and one thing led to the other and we said let's start to do it so that's so i've been involved from the very beginning conceptualizing it building it blah 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 all sorts of things around it and then the whole journey from there onwards to our launch in dubai That's a great story and it's of course the support is greatly appreciated. Now let me ask you Jagdish, did you have a personal history with chess? No, not really. I I think I'm a pretty bad player. Um I barely managed to survive any game <laughs> and that's probably the reason they made me the chair. Um the whole uh, but my family has had like you would find you know in most families um across the board in India um and then i've seen it in other parts of the world also it's a very engaging sport when families get together two people play up and where i belong to which is uh, um a state in bengal um in a state of bengal in a city called calcutta um there you know when families get together afternoons would be primarily chess so you know and that's how my younger childhood days memories are that you know some cousin of mine or some elder guy or sometimes myself when they would let me get close enough so there be like four five six boards going on in the um family rooms across the home and then we will all gather around someone and so it was quite quite a um, you know if i may it was quite a common sport afternoons and evenings during especially during 
um, holidays when people would get together, but sometimes it's just common to have it every day. So that's how I grew up. Okay. And so as you sort of get acclimated to both the chess world and to organizing this league, um, what were the biggest challenges from your perspective in getting it off the ground? So once we had done all the arrangement with FIDE, as you know, FIDE is a joint venture of this Global Chess League uh, organization that we set up. It's a company in um, Switzerland that we have set up. Um, they own 10% and we own 90% of that company. Um, primarily, the, our bigger challenge was basically based on what our objective and purpose was. We said that we want to make this um, a place where the best of the world come to play. We want, that's number one. So the best of the world, which means the top 30, 40 players need to come and join us. Uh, second, we want to make this interesting enough for fans to engage, but also to have capability for it to expand to the, the not the chess officiando, if I may, but people who are follow chess, not necessarily on a daily basis, but they know all the stars. They know the Magnuses of the world and they know the Vishis of the world and they had known all the previous stars of chess. So they probably keep track, but they don't engage enough. And that number is humongous. It's about 600 million people around the world. And But the sport doesn't seem to get that kind of encouragement, that kind of money, that kind of uh, conversation, so and so forth. So our objective was first, get the best players. Second, create a format that is exciting and new. And third, get private or franchise owners to own, convert this into a team sport so that we can get people rallying behind players and then slowly associating themselves with franchises. Right. So that's the whole idea behind it. To me, I think the most, uh, I wouldn't call it difficult, but I would call it rather the most time-consuming and extensive and intense process was about getting the players signed up because they had a lot of questions. What is in it? I mean, why is it interesting? What will happen in this case? What are the rules? And then we had to also keep it within the uh, boundaries of um, the rules because we could not break the rules out. So that's why FIDE was there to help us align the stretch points under those because uh, you want to make sure that they earn their points and their rankings, their ELO rankings and so on and so forth as they win and play in this tournament. So we wanted to make sure it's a serious tournament. It's While it's got to be fun and glitz and glamour, but we can't lose out from the whole intensity that it can have. Yeah, I mean, well, I feel like you guys were, were successful in the regard you described because you got the aforementioned Viswanathan Anand, you got Magnus Carlsen, you got uh, Maxime Vashir Lagrave, uh, and so many other top players. Levon. We got Levon. Levon, the champion, yeah. <laughs> and so let me ask you, was there a certain player who you signed where you reached a moment where you felt like, okay, this is going to be okay. We're, we're, we're going to, this is going to be viable for the first season. Well, you know, the good part is that uh, we first, very first year when we were conceptualizing it and brainstorming it, we signed up Vishi Anand as our mentor uh, for the league and the brand ambassador and the mentor of the league. And that itself was a, you know, getting someone like him to get involved on an, on a project was a very good start, I felt, because 
he had tremendous knowledge and obviously experience over the number five time world champion um it's just uh, interesting to hear his views because he gave the players perspective and he said this is what we could tweak this is what we could change the fide guys were actually extremely active and that's the time we felt that you know if these guys feel it's exciting um i think we will find uh, other players to join in then obviously when we signed up magnus um it seemed like it's a uh, it's a uh, we are on to a good thing yeah and he's not always easy to get for these events so <laughs> again it speaks to uh speaks to the the organization and the quality of thought that that went into it and you alluded jagdish to the unique format um of course it had mixed gender team format as you said franchise owners and of course uh incentive to try to win with black with more points uh for a black win four points for a black win three points for a white win so i'm just curious uh what went into all of those decisions and how you evaluate them now that season 1 is complete well i think ben you know when we started looking at it we were very clear that we wanted to convert this into a team sport we had many more ideas i can't disclose it right now but we had many more ideas and i think we'll try them in year second year and third year and all of those we want to make this lot more exciting lot more unpredictable in terms of who you are going to play etc etc but from our perspective it was very clear that we wanted this to be a team sport and we wanted it to have mixed gender in it so every aspect of the tournament and the way we stru- structured the team had those uh, you know um, structures built into it so we had one one icon player who's like the star that people could probably bring in the wishies of the world and maximes of the world and magnus and livons of the world and so on and so forth nepos of the world so we had those guys but we also had you said we said listen we're going to get the best and make sure that everyone is on the 2700 upwards in terms of their ranking and that's how we managed to get two men two women one icon and we also wanted to focus on the next gen which is the under 21 type category that we created because we felt that gives it a little bit more all rounded view in terms of what we are trying to do of of our journey and what our capabilities are um, in that whole world that's that's how the team structuring happened then some of the key changes said that you know we will play with the uh, with give with black if you play because sometimes you 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 obviously the standard thing is white and the blacks don't get that kind of an advantage we wanted to make the game a little more aggressive and say that you know let's push towards the result if you're going to push towards the result then you got to change the team point structure and i think looking back as you said ben you know what happened i mean amazing set of results even the day one um the teams the two teams that were playing if i remember correctly they were triveni versus uh yumumba the same set of guys i think that were playing the finals and the the whole objective at that point of time final game and these guys were losing by about 3 points and they won through black and they won by one point so it became a little more unpredictable but you know the creme de la creme of that whole thing was the final the no one could have ever scripted that exciting a final that we went through yeah just tie break after tie break and then uh 
a blunder at the end to decide it. <laughs> Definitely a, a special moment. Um, and is so I'll tell you from my perspective, I definitely I liked the jerseys, uh, the the um, palpable joy of the players was what struck me most. And I, I've talked in the past, both in a sort of professional I mean, when I'm speaking with professionals, as well as when I'm sort of advising my fellow chess amateurs that I do feel the team dynamic in chess just raises the level of enthusiasm. And I felt like that really came across in the broadcast. Now, I did hear some complaints from people online, especially early in the mat in the um, presentation of difficulty watching it, I think, especially um, here in North America. And I, I believe that those issues um, were improved over time. Um, but what what was the general approach to to um, conveying the broadcast? Well, you know, broadcast happens to be one of the key facets of this product. Uh, we wanted to make sure it's visible across the world. So we worked very closely with our broadcasting partners around the world. And I think sometimes some partners come on board, some you miss because of terms and conditions that you both of us can't seem to agree. But I think next year onwards, it will be even more expanded. But just to give you an idea, Ben, this year we had more than 150 broadcasters including, you know, terrestrial as well as uh, digital or, or OTP or, you know, OTT broadcasters. All of them, we had between them about 150 plus around the world. Um, and if you were there, you would see this is an ex exciting shot. I mean, there were about 14 television cameras in the room that was covering the game and was covering every moment of every move. And then we wanted to make sure that the broadcast is coupled with interesting commentary because the commentary should make it easier and simpler for people to know what the next moves could be, what are the possible chances. So we had a very interesting mix of uh, commentators from US, from UK, from Europe, from India, and all of them, and a mix of people who could have good fun, good times, and so on and so forth, and make it engaging for people. So I think our experiment with broadcast, I believe, has been pretty successful. What we need, do need to work out, like you said, is sometimes the, you know, the visibility was probably in the beginning wasn't that good. There were some production challenges, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But um, I think they were ironed out quite fast and soon enough. But we expected to further develop. We also had a metaverse, by the way, online oh, on wow. our on our app world that had some tremendous uh, viewership. We had more than 50 to 70,000 viewers on that coming together on a regular place, may, playing on the metaverse. It's just been tremendous in terms of um, the amount of acceptance that people use the app for and also the broadcasting channels. And is it official already? Do we know for sure there will be a second season? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yes, That's yes. great. We will do a second season for sure. Um, we're just figuring out now the period of planning is going to start again. We want to be probably going to start uh, in another couple of weeks, uh, thinking through what changes we want to bring in, what uh, feedback we've got from teams and players to take that into account, and then slowly build up to a particular location that we could go to. Excellent. And will it likely be roughly the same time of year, like July, June to July 2024? Most likely. Most likely it will be. We haven't yet sort of 
uh, zoomed in on the timelines that we and FIDE will need to work through it. But most likely, it will be around the similar timelines. The chess calendar is quite busy. It really and is. Yeah. Seeing, seeing the um, you know the enthusiasm that the global Tech Mahindra Global Chess League um, created, we feel that uh, you know um, finding a fixed slot is probably a good idea. We'll be right back with more from Jagdish Mitra. And we are back. Let me ask you, Jagdish, like, for example, uh, Grandmaster Fabiano Caruana on the C-Squared podcast mentioned that he had turned down an invitation. I'm sure there were other players uh, that you couldn't come to terms with as well, um, but they may have seen the match and seen, excuse me, seen the league and seen the impact it has and maybe get a sense for its growth. Uh, plus, there will always be new players uh, emerging on the scene. So do you guys have a plan in place yet for how the franchises will acquire new players? Yeah, so we will go through another draft. We are working through that whole stru uh, structure. And you're right, there are some that, for a variety of reasons, you know, turned that down. Uh, Fabiano was one of them. Then we had some that turned it down, but later on found the buzz around it and said, hey, I would like to join in. Uh, where we had no space right that time, so we had to regret. But I think this year we will see even more stronger talent coming together. A uh, lot of the world-class players that uh, we saw this year will continue, I'm hoping. And then we'll have a bunch of even more fresher players. So from our perspective, I think, Ben, um, both the tournament format and the uh, players that are interested will, we think, it will become an even richer party next year as we start to do the second version of uh, the Tech Mahindra Global Chess League. That's exciting. And let me ask you, Jagdish, I got the impression from the coverage I read and um, that it was also shown on, was it shown on television in India or online? Well, it was on television and online. Okay, so I thought Geo, it was on television, but I wasn't certain, so I wanted to be sure. Um, it was and, in Eurosport in, the, in, the, in, in Europe. Amazing. And, and how do you guys, I'm sure you have a long-term vision, as you said, this is a multi-year project, but as you step back and look at, back at the first season, there are, of course, the qualitative measures you mentioned, um, obviously, a lot of buzz, enthusiastic players, um, but then there is also sort of quantitative measures that eventually, you know, you working for a corporation, you'll probably be asked to provide. In terms of quantitative measures, uh, what, are, what are the long-term objectives for the league? Well, I think, you know, my obviously everything has a commercial angle to it. But at the end of the day, you have to treat it like a product. You know, we are doing a startup. So we are now focused completely on getting the product right. The product, as I said, has multiple features on it. It has the best of talent to come together. It has an exciting format for people to play in teams. And third is it's got to have content and commerce around it. or sorry, content and the visual around it, which will make sure it's television worthy. Those are the three things that we are trying to do. So we're going to completely focus on that, Ben, for the time being. And I, we strongly feel that with the interest that it has generated in the corporate world, the, the engagement that it has generated from franchises and teams and players and television, I think it will be a commercial success in much shorter time than what we had imagined. In the sense, I think the monetary gains coming out of this, which is what ultimately the product will hopefully deliver to the to the league and to the players and to the team owners 
is not too far away. We are actually excited that it will be very, very soon when it starts to become an extremely profitable venture. But, you know, uh, that's not the immediate goal. The immediate goal, like anything else that we have always believed in building anything from the Mahindra group and in Tech Mahindra is focus on the product and everything else will come into space. Wise words, for sure. And just as you mentioned, you have plans in place for if uh, more players want to get in, uh, there could be a draft for them to be added. What about like additional corporate sponsorship? Um, is there a potential for more franchises or just different roles within uh, different roles that corporate, excuse me, corporations could provide in future uh, seasons? So Ben, uh, there is there is enough opportunity for sponsors to come in, variety of things they can do. And we have all that ready and to ready to discuss for next season. Uh, so sponsorship is a great opportunity considering that we'll be on television, like I said, access to about 150 million uh, viewers around the world with these prop assets that we have put together and on YouTube and so on and so forth. I was just looking at the numbers coming in today. They seem very exciting. Um, but the whole idea of getting these guys together and the players together is what excites us most. So we expect that the the uh, franchises increase. The number of franchises that we have is six now. And what we expect that to go up to is eight, but we have, we have an agreement to do that only from the third season. So first two seasons will have six, six teams. The third season will have eight, two more teams added. And so therefore those two teams will come into play. And then the fifth season onwards, we have 10 teams added. I'm really impressed with the long-term vision that, that you've already got it mapped out uh, so many years ahead. Um, and to the extent that investment is needed in order to build up the product to be profitable, is the is the capital already there to support this through its early years? Oh, absolutely. Um, that's what Tech Mahindra has uh, taken the ownership of. And we have a long-term plan, as you just heard from me. And that's what we are invested in um, for, for making this a uh, success. So that's yes, the capital and everything else is in place. That's excellent news. Well, Jack Dees, just hearing you talk about it and see hearing how much thought has gone into it, it, it gets me excited as a chess fan. I, I mean, something like this, as people like Levan Aronian have discussed, um, I mean, obviously we've had leagues like the Pro Chess League and they're successful in their own right, but uh, something... Uh, live in person and global uh, certainly has a lot of appeal. And just just hearing you discuss it and again, seeing the the palpable joy of the players um, really gets me excited as well. No, absolutely, Ben. We thank you for your support because I think media and important voices like yours have a critical role to play. We strongly feel, you know, uh, corporate involvement, franchises will do very well for the sport. It will ultimately make it interesting, not just for the chess interested, but wider than chess. We think that this 600 million can become a billion fans easily. It's an easy sport to play, an easy sport to follow through. And it's one of the original, I think, the e-sport. Because what you do in person on a board is the same skills you need when you play on a digital screen, which is not true for any other sport, by the way. So here you can you can really build on this. We think that it's good as corporates come in with franchises and teams for the money to pump in. Players will make money. The whole franchises will make money. Sponsors will come in and it will expand. And that's that's the whole vision behind it. But as I said, 
focus is on getting those three attributes of the product right. And then the Tech Mahindra Global Chess League, I personally feel and the team personally feels that uh, it's a long, long journey that we have already planned out and it will be successful for many, many more years to come. Excellent, Jagdish. Super exciting. So for anyone listening who wants to make sure they don't miss it, I mean, obviously, we can sort of just keep in mind June to July of 2024. Look for its return. As you said, there'll be an announcement in terms of it sounds like the the next season won't necessarily be in Dubai. Is that correct? We don't know. We don't know yet. It's too early to comment on it. There are a lot of cities that have shown interest, incidentally, for the same reason that uh, it saw saw popularity. Um, but uh, we haven't made up our minds yet. And okay. we will discuss, the team will discuss and then come up with a plan on it. Um, it could be Dubai, it could be anywhere else. But, uh, you know, we're keeping our options open right now. Excellent. But for fans who just want to make sure that they keep up with it, I guess the best things to do are to follow the the social media outlets of... of yeah, yeah. So we have a Tech Mahindra Global Chess League. And as I said, this whole thing would be about the players and the fans. If we get that engaged, I think all of it will fall into place. So if they follow us on Twitter or on Instagram or any of these places, we will use those channels constantly to keep the fans engaged. Yeah. And I do have one more question. I just thought of, if you don't mind, just speaking as like a sports fan perspective, obviously what what keeps people coming back generally is they develop an allegiance to a particular franchise. And I can imagine for a new league, that might be a challenge. Do you, do you guys have any um, ideas that you can reveal yet in terms of like things that might be done to sort of foster allegiance between uh, fans and the franchises themselves? Well, I think uh, we have, we have, and what we plan to do, you'll see a lot of it. We do plan to see that engagements will be there in terms of chess games, chess uh, tournaments, different things together during the year, building up to the actual two weeks of Global Chess League. And we feel that that should start to build the brand and the popularity around with the franchises. We will include various formats that we are brainstorming. And just to give you a hint, maybe very similar to what the NBA and the Major League Baseball in America have done so well to build it up from the grounds up out to the professional teams. And uh, that's what we we think we'll be able to implement here in the Global Chess League as well. Excellent. So the idea is that we keep people engaged throughout the year and then it sort of builds up into the Global Chess League final. Sounds sounds great to me. So Jagdish, it's been great to to hear more about the background of this league. As I said, really impressed with the long-term vision and the amount of planning that went in only to season one. Uh, do you have anything to add in closing as we uh, think about saying goodbye? No, I think, Ben, thank you for your time. And I think uh, we have a um, you know great opportunity to transform the sport. As, as uh, I remember the closing lines for my chairman, uh, Mr. Anand Mahindra, on the opening ceremony, I think he described it well. It's a time for an ancient sport and make it relevant for the future. So it's a, it's that connect between what it had for history and past and how it's ready to be for the future is hopefully the role that the Global Tech Mahindra, Global Chess League can act as that bridge. Excellent. Well, I just from a personal perspective, want to want to thank you and Tech Mahindra for the support, because I do think I think it 
over time, this is an investment that can pay dividends. But as you've alluded to, obviously, there's startup costs and long term investment required. And uh, as as you know, someone so deeply involved in the chess world, I, I greatly appreciate that the groundwork is being laid. Thank you, Ben. Yes, we do look forward to comments, advice and suggestions from people like yourselves and, and the fan base. And I think that will make it richer. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Jagdish. Look forward to season two. Thank you. We look forward to it as well. Podcast Network.